I was walking up and down uh, before coming in and just reflecting a little on what I might say and I really didn't know. Something about our uh, evoking through the day of taking care of things which as I was walking up and down feels kind of complete to me. It's like, hey, that's a complete teaching. Enough. Careful what's happening. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought they might not be satisfied with that. And yet, as we've been hearing from one another and sensing during the day, you know, something, the kind of the longing for coming home to ourselves or coming home to life, the longing for a freedom of being that we know to be there, somehow, somewhere, as it were, is evoked through this recognition of the power of caring for what is. And we know that that's what we want, right? What the, what the Buddha rather beautifully calls the sure heart's rest. Oh, yes please. The sure heart's rest. The sure, the sure heart's, the rest of the sure heart. Certain. But it's like steady, we might say. Of the free, the le, le demeure paisible du cœur libéré. Le demeure paisible du cœur libéré. That's what we want. The the tranquil abiding of the free heart, which we might, for shorthand, call happiness. We want to be happy. We want uh, the happiness of a heart at rest. And of course, that's what everybody says. But if we look closely, we often go, we often settle for poor substitutes for what we might call true happiness, the ease of heart. We settle for substitutes that seem to be easier even though we struggle a lot with them. We settle for substitutes generated by our compulsions. So for some of us, that means trying to be happy through being comfortable. Trying to have what we like and not have what we don't like. And as if I can accumulate enough comfort or pleasure to really satisfy me. As if I could only get that, have that, feel that, then I'd be okay. And we might say, well, I recognize that, right? That's why I'm, otherwise I wouldn't have come here. If I'd wanted just a comfortable, I would have, could have gone to the beach this week. Could have gone to a hotel, could have gone somewhere where I wasn't expected to sit around 
looking at my knees all day. (laughs) And yet even within uh, uh, the context of this, of the days, one can see even how one's intention during the week One comes with the intention, I want to practice sincerely, I want to really open myself to what's here. And how that slowly, that beautiful, pure motivation can easily shift to just, oh, I want to be comfortable. I want to just get through this sitting in a comfortable way. It often feels to me the felt sense of that sort of desperate attempt to be comfortable. It's almost it's like pouring sand into a sieve, you know. And it's just it, it kind of it holds for just a, a moment, but it's already running, running out, running out. Sieve, you know what I mean? Passoire, yeah. yeah. Because that sense of comfort, gratification. It's very fleeting. And in fact, the, it seems, the more desperate we are to get comfortable or have some pleasure or enjoy something, the, more, the harder we're trying for that, the, least, the less able we actually are to enjoy it seems to be that way you have to see for yourself some of us try to uh, well, there's the belief that I'll be happy by being right of course it's not really an either or with these right? we might see our tendency go in one direction more towards comfort security, pleasure more towards being right but we can probably find all of them in our experience and yet, and that belief, it's, it's kind of absurd if we have some distance from it. Because being right tends to be a rather narrow place, a rather tight place, a rather rigid place. And yet we can see the way the belief arises. I, ne- I need to be right. That there's some, there seems to be some security for the self in being right. And one looks at the playing out of people stuck in needing to be right, trying to be right, believing they're right in the world and the tragedy and the aggression and the warfare and the tragic stories of our world that are born out of me needing to be right and the corresponding making you wrong, the demonizing of the other. Again, we can see, even in this simple and caring and non-contentious environment of the retreat, how we can withdraw into our, our own fixed views in different ways. Withdraw. Withdraw our... Um, se protéger dans le... Dans le le château de nos le château fort de nos euh, vues étroites yes anyway 
so we see it playing out on the world stage but even here we can see how when our when we get uh, insecure in some way how we can retreat into a fixed view of ourselves a fixed view of another a fixed view of what's happening a defensive view and making the other wrong an insecure moment somehow the moulin seems wrong or I seem wrong or the other people sitting around you seem wrong some of us try to uh, get that security of self that happiness through being powerful and again one sees the kind of rabid activity the rabid endless growth of corporations and politicians as if I could be powerful enough to feel okay and yet of course it doesn't really work that way and even on our own human scale we can see how the need to, the, to somehow have power over another you see how that plays out in our relationships the attempt to somehow feel big enough powerful enough full enough complete enough to feel okay to find oh, some rest to find the sure heart's release and yet there again it seems like there's this kind of inversely proportional relationship the more desperate we are to feel that sense of security to feel enough the more desperately we try to establish our enoughness the more hollow the more fake it feels the more the insecurity at the very heart of this human condition nags at us because let's face it being a human being is a pretty insecure condition because we don't, I don't know how long it's going to last so we could, and we could go on these endless strategies to try which are all strategies to try and be happy and the more clearly we see the desperation that's often in these strategies the more tragic they look Wherever, whether we see them playing out in the world or whether we see them playing out in our own uh, movements of mind so we start to get interested in me just meeting this human heart like we've been doing today caring for the movements and discovering first those strategies the attempt to get comfortable the attempt to be right the attempt to, to feel uh, secure etc etc and also underneath our various strategies the various tender uncomfortable feelings of something being wrong the uncomfortable feelings of something that feels undigested often the uncomfortable feeling of something that feels 
unmeetable or unexperienceable. The undigested material of the heart, those hurts that we haven't really met, those fears that we haven't really addressed, those residues of loves and losses and of the experiences of childhood, etc., etc., that we don't really like to go near. They live in this. There's this not just uncomfortable residue, but usually as we approach them, as what feels like unmeetable material. And we were hearing about that a little last night in the inquiry. In the example of a sense of a which is actually a very common experience of a barrage. And that's one of the common ways we attempt to uh, not face the what feels like the unmeetable material of our life. So one way, by pushing it down. Another way, by kind of, as soon as we come to it, by bouncing away. Another way, by immediately, by shifting our attention to, to a pleasant object. Right? Distracting through, through the comfort of whatever it might be. Some diverting intensity. Food, sex, alcohol, TV, fridge. Whatever. For some of us, there's the strat- when we come towards that which feels tender is just to kind of we switch off words, the dullness that we've been speaking about sometimes that the dullness that arises in meditation may actually be fatigue sometimes that dullness like we were saying earlier it, uh, arises because we're so used to stimulation and so when it's not there anymore oh, we switch off but for some of us, going unconscious is an avoidance strategy. It's just what we do in the face of the difficult. We zone out. So this practice of, of caring, of addressing the human heart, gives us the opportunity to notice our strategies. To notice the tendency, to, I want to push it away. I want to distract myself. I want to make uh, something or somebody wrong. I want to just disappear and go numb. And yet we stay. And even that staying actually is the activity of a caring heart. The willingness to stay despite all that wants to lift off. And as we stay... Whether there's a sense of pushing down or wanting to avoid or whatever, the usual experience as we address unmet material of the heart, the usual experience is it, it wouldn't be possible to feel this. But to, to feel this would be too much. Even though we don't even know often what the this is. If I was to feel this, it would overwhelm me. If I was to feel this, I would, I would somehow collapse. 
If I was to feel this, I would drown in the emotion. If I was to feel this, there would be so much of it and it would be so endless that I would never recover. Or sometimes it just feels, if I was to feel this, I would, I, I would die. I mean, it just feels like it would annihilate us. It feels, in other words, like the heart can't, just hasn't got room for it all. heart can't manage that backlog of material. And the reason I say that is maybe it's comforting to hear that that's the common experience. That's how undigested heart material looks. It looks unmeetable. And there's a certain truth to it. There's a certain truth that actually the heart can't contain all that. And yet actually, it doesn't need to. And the the willingness to stay, the willingness to feel, the willingness to gently access that which feels unexperienceable, it kind of breaks the heart open. That's what tears are often. They're the lubrication of the heart cracking open, breaking open. And the feeling of unmeetability is really because we're trying to, it's, I'm trying to contain it. I'm trying to meet it. I'm trying to be responsible for it all. And my poor, puny, little, overworked heart can't manage. And yet, like I say, it doesn't need to. We were exploring the what we were talking about as the infinity of consciousness the other day. And actually it's the same with the heart. The capacity to feel, the capacity to care, the capacity to love and listen to and make room for what's here isn't ours. It's not really me who does this feeling. It's not me who has to do this feeling. But to the extent that we're identified with me being the feeler, to the extent that we're identified with my heart and my heart's pain, to that extent it hurts. And yet, as we also saw in the inquiry yesterday a little, as we feel into it, as it cracks, as the heart breaks, it breaks open. It breaks into the relief of not having to hold it all, not having to manage it all, not having to control it all. That which is here can just be felt. And some of it's painful. Some of it's painful in such a way that uh, brings tears. 
some of the what's painful is the residue of one's own emotional pain. Some of what's painful is actually just the recognition that oh, I've struggled with this stuff for so long, when all the time, all I had to do was feel it. It's like the pain of recognizing a life unlived, or half-lived, or tightly lived. Some of it's just the pain of the world. A certain tragedy of seeing and feeling the way people treat each other in the blindness and confusion and desperation of their own uh, tight hearts. And yet along with that cracking open is the relief Along with that cracking open is the heart's rest. Life does the feeling, just like life does the knowing, just like life does the tree growing and sun shining and breath breathing and heart beating and consciousness animating of life. And the more we can let that happen, the more heart's ease there is. And it's that same piece we were speaking about the other day of, you know, being able to put down the burden of being the one who has to be responsible for all of this. experience does its thing. And experience, whatever it is, however it is, it it wants attention. You might say it wants care, right? Experience arises with a pull to it. Anything. What's seen pulls on our attention. What's felt pulls on our attention. What's imagined pulls on our attention. In a way, that's much of what we're doing in meditation is we're, we're tracking the way experience pulls at attention. The habit that we've developed, all of us, and it's actually a, it's a, it's a more, or less, uh, more or less psychologically well-adjusted habit, but it's a very partial evolution. The habit that we all develop is to respond to that pull on attention kind of blindly, reactively. So when what arises is pleasant, exerts the pull of the pleasant, we go after it. We react with a certain compulsion. Oh yes, want, like, get, have. When what arises is unpleasant, then the pull of the unpleasant we respond with a contraction, a rejection, a refusal. And once, when what's arising doesn't have the pull of one or the other so much, it, it, it tends to look dull to us. And then we actually roam around with our attention, looking for something with a bit more pull. Often, even, we don't mind, it can be an unpleasant pull. 
anything for a bit of pull. So in a way, our practice, that's the truth of human experience. It arises with a pull. And the pull is, one way of looking at it, the pull is whatever rises, whatever appears in the universe, wants to be loved. That's one way of of understanding what life is. Life is so effulgent. Life, effulgent. (laughs) Like this. (laughs) Um, full of itself life is so alive so in love with its own miracle that it just does stuff it's like look planets look on on the vast scale of the universe or the microscopic scale that's what life's doing it's just just effulgently <laughs> bursting into being all the time. We, it's, we can't really understand it. We can't, certainly can't understand why is life doing this? Why? We can't understand. But when we start to really feel the way experience arises and it pulls for attention. And what have I got to offer? Attention. That's what life's given me, more primarily than anything else. It's given us attention. It's given us the capacity to respond to life. It's given us the capacity to know and feel and honour and love and care for that which arises. So that's in a way what our practice is. It's a noticing that the our habitual tendency is to respond to experience reactively with compulsion, contraction, confusion. With pulling for it or pushing it away or uh, looking for something else. And that what makes experience, normal experience, human experience, heart experience, sensory experience, what makes experience into practice is that instead of meeting it blindly, reactively, we see, well, we've got to meet it. That's what being alive is. It's meeting experience. But that I can meet it with contact. Really feeling it. I can meet it with curiosity, really exploring it. I can meet it with care, to love it and let it be, and let it reveal itself, and let it have its life, whatever it is. There's not much about our experience that we get to control. We get to control the the small details. And even then, like we were exploring last week, those of you who are here, even speaking of the small details in terms of actual control or choice starts to look a bit suspect. Mostly what we call choice or control is just that. It's just it's reacting to the pulls and pushes of experience. We don't get to control 
what happens to us particularly. We don't get to control uh, what gets triggered, the kind of feelings or sensations that arise. But we do get to incline our attention in a way that can care, that can respond to life, in a way that inclines to an open heart, to a fluid life. To the one who is desperately trying to be comfortable and trying to be right and trying to be powerful enough to feel okay, a lack of control looks terrifying. But the more we can put down that control, the more we find, ironically, we are comfortable. But there's a certain deep ease in just being in the miracle of existence. Or actually, we might just say, I might say that better, that there's, that it, existence itself has a deep ease in which we can be. But the less interested we are in being right, ironically, the more we sense a certain rightness to being here. And the less desperate we are to try and feel uh, big or powerful or secure, the more one feels the steadiness and potency and majesty of the life we're in. So, life's complex. Lots of things happen. Much of it, most of it, way outside of our control. But we can be contactful. We can be curious. And we can care in such a way that relieves the heart. That's our invitation. You might say that's life's invitation. You might say that's actually the response life wants from us. We're being pulled in that direction. We might look back on our whole life, clumsy looking around, trying to get comfortable, trying to be right, giving up, looking for something else, finding meditation, resisting meditation, going back to meditation, wishing I'd never found meditation, (laughs) imagining things were much simpler before I got into all this spiritual stuff, looking and seeing other people who have never meditated and they seem to be managing okay. (laughs) And what's the thread? 
What's the thread through your meandering life? It's being pulled onwards towards more contact. It's being pulled into the intimacy of the condition in which life actually holds us. It's being called to care. So please follow along, friends. Follow the thread, listen to the call. Don't try and do it yourself. Let your heart take care of things. Let your heart take care of you. Let your heart take care of life. It's bigger than you think. It's vast. It contains all experience within it. for these reflections in the hope that they uh, wake up the care that we long for and the care that the world so deeply needs. <laughs>